0: now on this invest talk podcast Justin Klein listens to your questions
1: let's go to Louie in Boston looking at SG which is sweet green this is an owner and operator of 140 fast food restaurants in 13 states do you own it or are you looking to buy it I believe it IPOs tomorrow and uh, very interested I like the uh, company a lot
2: and
0: provides unbiased answers
1: IPOs are there. For the vast majority of them to extract capital, extract money from the novice individual investor.
0: Invest Talk, over 36 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888 99 Chart.
3: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial, independent thinking, shared success. And now
1: today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, November 17th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. And I know you're probably looking at the calendar, and yes, tomorrow is one week from Thanksgiving. And we're rapidly moving into the holiday season. And what that means for markets uh, is probably low volume, uh, probably not a whole lot going on. Uh, but it is something that you need to need to think about as you go into the, the end of the year, uh, there's tax loss selling, uh, obviously shifts in uh, fiscal and, and monetary policy. And All of this is in context to your goals and your financial future, and that's what you're trying to build. So I'm here to help you take that next step. That's my goal on this show, is to operate with my mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success, to give you the advice, give you the perspective, to make consistently good decisions with your money, not just the investment side, but the saving side, the spending side as well. And so... When I'm talking about all of those things on this show, I'm here to present it all without bias. I'm just here to give you the facts as I see them and using my 20 plus years of investment experience. So I'm Justin Klein. Of course, I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape the show to your liking. So I encourage you to reach out right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, no big deal just give us a call or just give that number a call 888-99 chart the number is always the same so let's get right to our first listener question now it's going to be Richard in Santa Clarita and looking at XEL which is XL Energy do you own it or are you looking to buy it
2: um i own it i owned it before uh a few uh couple of years ago and then
0: sold it uh, made made some profit, but I'm looking at it again. And by the way, I want to just mention um, I do a daily walk. Listen to your
2: podcast, you know, every day. Uh, usually on the podcast because I do it at night, and really appreciate the show. Uh, I've learned so much from you.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for uh, being an avid listener. And uh, you're looking at Excel Energy. It is a utility. Uh, Mainly Mm -hmm. electric and natural gas, 3.7 million electric uh, customers and 2.1 million natural gas customers, mainly in areas, uh, it's actually pretty spread out across the country. Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Colorado, uh, I have some in Texas, New Mexico, so kind of the central uh, United States. Decent yield, 2.9% or so, $35 billion market cap. Uh, you know the issue for uh, the issue here is that uh, it's it's growing, um, but it's not a fast grow by any means. It does continue to increase its earnings year after year. That's a good thing, um, but it's it's super slow in the mid to high single digits. And right now, you're t- trading at about 22 times earnings, uh, enterprise value to EBIT is about 12 times. And historically, if you go way back it tends to trade closer to eight times. So on a multiple perspective, it is still uh, a bit overvalued. Uh, the chart looks, you know, it's been it's been consolidating sideways. And that's what you should expect from most utilities this year. Because uh, you have interest rates going up. You have an accelerating uh, economy where the economy, underlying economy is, is relatively strong. Uh, and that is an environment where utilities – tend to underperform. And that's probably what you're worried about, right? Is saying, well, the uh, rest of the market's doing this, but this is kind of not doing that great, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I'm looking at, at, you know, at least in the long term, I also saw that it is connected
0: natural gas a holding company when, you know, I know natural gas in
2: the United States could be a real plus, you know, demand for that. So that was another aspect of this.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's good. Uh, but once again, with utilities, their profits are regulated. So it's not like they can extract uh, a huge returns out of it. There's no, uh, there's no operating leverage here. Whereas if it's a natural gas company, those addition, that additional higher price uh, almost always goes to the bottom line directly. Whereas this is, yes, you're earning a percentage of a higher dollar amount, but it's still the same percentage the return on equity is pretty much locked in, and so this is not this is not going to capture much of the upside of natural gas prices or use, et cetera. Um, so I wouldn't think of it as a natural gas play. It's utility play. It is, uh, it is an income play. Uh, it is relatively expensive compared to its history and, and other utilities. Um, and right now, utilities are just not a great place to be. So um, I, I, if you think there's other opportunities that you are finding, I would go for them because I don't think this is a, a great long-term play at these prices and in this environment. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline, why GE and Johnson & Johnson may not be the only iconic companies about to break up. Across all market sectors, iconic companies, uh, multinational companies are under pressure from activists to split up or are making decisions to look within their own operations and slim down. So we're going to look at that, uh, that story. Also, Fannie and Freddie are about to start backing $1 million mortgages. How might that change the overall market environment? And then inflation, uh, could that mean value stocks time to shine? This is part of what we're going to discuss tomorrow in our webinar, but I want to dig into that a little bit today. And then China, market risks that you're seeing recently are something you should not be shocked about. Uh, This is uh, par for the course for uh, foreign exposure, especially in emerging markets. And so if you were blindsided by that, you probably shouldn't have been. You weren't paying enough attention. So we're going to go over what that might mean for uh, o- the overall uh, foreign markets and especially emerging markets. So that's uh, what I want to talk about. But ultimately, I want to talk about what's on your mind. 8899 chart 888 4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, the S&P. Down 12 points, modest down day there. Really where the downside in the market was uh, the Russell. Down 28 points, a little bit over 1%, and it was a weak day. It wasn't a it wasn't a bad day. Uh, it was just overall a weekday in the markets. Uh, you should not be shocked by that at all. Uh, the 10 year that was down a bit down three basis points as uh, it was a bit of a risk off market. The VIX was up 74.74 uh, uh, 0.74, uh, points. So having a bit of a bounce and starting to make a higher low. Could that mean a bit more volatility going into the year end? Possibly probably not a whole lot. So That was the market so far uh, today. But we're here. We're heading into a quick break. And if you have finance and investment questions, we want to give unbiased answers. And you'll find that right here on this podcast on Invest Talk. So give me a call now at 888 99 Chart.
0: Good news. Steve and Justin will host the next free Wealth Webinar, Investing in an Inflationary World, tomorrow at 1 p.m. Pacific. With inflation impacting all areas of the global economy, how should investors adjust their strategy to take advantage of emerging opportunities? Get the answer to that question and others and prepare for the coming changes. Register now for free at InvestTalk.com.
1: My name is Cannon from Atlanta, Georgia. I have a relative that's in the uh, trucking industry, the truck driver by trade. And he let me know about his company that over the next year is
2: planning on purchasing another hundred trucks in their fleet. And that got me kind of interested Did some research and that led me to Pete Carr. Just wondering what you think about this as a potential play for um, maybe when stuff opens up, you're able to get more of the shipping out
1: on the streets on the roads and truck companies loading up their fleet. What do you think? Thank you. Bye. All right, this is Paccar, and this is actually a name that is on our watch list. We have not fired on it, but I, I do like this uh, company. its It basically makes light, medium, and heavy-duty commercial trucks. It's also getting into uh, the electric truck market as well. So there's plenty uh, to like uh, about the Underlying economy in relation to this uh, this company, as uh, the, the supply chains uh, r- remain stressed uh, and volumes of things moving around the economy r- remain robust, and because prices for shipping uh, are high, it means that the truckers are earning more money and they have more pricing power, and what that means they have uh, they have more money to go buy trucks and. Like you said, your your friend's company uh, is buying a bunch of trucks. So, uh, with higher margins means you can upgrade your equipment, and that's what they sell uh, the the major, most important piece of equipment in the trucking industry, which is the truck. And so uh, that's why we like it. Um, we like I said, we haven't fired on it. It just recently started to improve technically. It was poor from uh, the beginning part of the year until. Uh, Early October, and it's had a bit of a turnaround here. Now, trading right around the 200 day moving average, turned neutral. We haven't really, it hasn't given us a a bullish sign yet, uh, but we like the underlying fundamentals nice 1.5% dividend yield, and its profitability is consistently strong. You're talking about return on equity uh, at 16% currently, uh, but historically, pre pandemic, it was closer to 25% and that is very very robust. So we like the cash flow, we like the return on equity. Uh they have minimal debt on their balance sheet trading at 11 times enterprise value to EBITDA which uh is relatively uh, uh about average uh historically but you know in a market where a lot of things are very overvalued something that is a- uh, trading at its uh, historic average is uh, relatively undervalued. So uh we like Pacar and I would give it a-, a thumbs up. Let's go to Isaac in Minnesota looking at Exxon Mobil.
2: Hey, Justin. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I actually currently own ExxonMobil. I've owned it for a while, and my question is actually about, uh, selling, um, uh, about selling on it. Uh, I'm a dividend investor, so I bought it for the dividend. Mm-hmm. However, I've let it grow into a, a pretty large position in my portfolio, greedily. And mm-hmm. now I am looking to trim that down to a, a reasonable position. My question is, is there a benefit as a dividend investor to uh, sell your tax lots off of the highest cost method? Or should I just leave it as default on my account where it's first in, first out?
1: Well, that is, that's definitely a tax uh, question uh, based on how much taxes you want to pay. Now, if you are planning to hold a large percentage of it still for a long period of time because of the dividend. Uh, then you want to limit your your taxes on anything you do sell. And so probably instead of first in, first out, which is the standard for uh, most brokerage accounts, meaning if you sell it today, it'll sell your first lot first. That's first in, first out. Uh, but you might want to change it, and you can probably just go into the settings depending on your broker uh, and change it to last in, first out, L- LIFO. Uh, and that would sell the most recent shares First, which maybe have the highest cost basis, and therefore your total uh, profit uh, might be lower. Your, your your realized gains will be lower. Now, you also have to consider long term versus short term, because uh, maybe you bought the the recent shares uh, at a higher uh, or within the past year. Is that the case?
2: Um, I've been adding to it mm-hmm. uh, throughout all of like 2020. My, my first position is in December of. 2018 but i really hit it hard through 2020 so mm-hmm. my first cost basis is sitting at like 60 you know high 60s but the majority of my cost basis is in the high high 30s mid 40s yeah um, this may know. be something
1: you want to call your broker and plan out which lots you want to sell uh, Make sh- and i would try to Make sure you're getting long-term capital gains versus uh, short-term. Remember, anything within a year is going to be short-term. Anything past a year is going to be long-term. So you're going to have to look at those lots and see what your average price is, when you purchase those, et cetera. And you should be able to work with your broker on uh, making sure that specific lots are sold versus others. But I would do that. I would try to plan that out if you're trying to trim your position. I like that you're thinking about trimming your position overall um, because – you never know with company, even like Exxon, uh, there can be uh, major issues. And so it's too much of your portfolio now and trimming it is a good idea. But doing that tax efficiently is also a great idea as well. So I like where your head's at. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. So you will have portfolio questions and I'm here ready to help you in any way possible. So we're taking your calls live at 888 chart
0: Thanksgiving will be here soon, and you've got festivities planned, but you can't forget about your goal to achieve financial freedom. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are here, and they welcome your questions now. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart.
1: Let's go to Will in San Diego looking at EPD, which is Enterprise Product Partners. The owner looking to buy.
3: I own it, and it hasn't done hardly anything for me. I've owned it for a while, so I'm wondering if it's time to get rid of it.
1: Well, what do you mean it hasn't done anything for you? Are you just uh, it just hasn't? It's gone sideways. Not going up with the overall natural gas market is what? What? What are you? Yeah, it's gone disappointed sideways. In? Okay. Yeah. It's- Yeah, well, that's because earnings are relatively sideways. 2019, they made $2.18. This year, it's supposed to make $2.20, and also another $2.20 next year. So uh, it looks like they are not benefiting from these higher natural gas volumes uh, and prices. And so that's really the issue here. And and they are are pretty big, $40 billion market cap, and they are a massive partnership. Uh, And they process and transport natural gas, natural gas liquids, crude oil, refined products, and petrochemicals through most of the 48 states. And you would think that because they are dominant in the natural gas market, that they would be doing very well. But it's not translating. And that's really the issue here. And, you know, we own a natural gas uh, transporter as well. is doing much, much better. And it's not a massive partnership, which means it's not taxed at an ordinary income tax rate like uh, the dividends from this would be. So I I kind of agree. I think the, the main issue uh, here is the level of debt. It has about $30 billion in debt on its balance sheet. That's a, That's a big, big problem. And it's still, you know, it is relatively cheap compared to its history, but that's probably because it's just not growing and its earnings aren't growing. So I'm concerned that it isn't rebounding. Its earnings aren't rebounding to higher levels than pre-pandemic. I mean, the ones that that we own for clients are uh, 10 to 15% higher in earnings this year, and then another 13% higher next year in earnings expected. So uh, I agree. I would probably move on and find one of the non-master limited partnerships that is in this space as well. Uh, your dividend yield won't look as good. You won't get the, the 8% dividend yield uh, that you're getting now, but you'll get growth and you'll get a qualified dividend that is taxed at uh, the long-term uh, capital gains rate as opposed to your ordinary income tax rate. So I agree. Well, I'd move on. So my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline, why GE and Johnson Johnson may not be the only iconic companies about to break up. And uh, this has made headlines recently with GE and Johnson & Johnson splitting up. GE is breaking up into three companies, Johnson & Johnson 2. Its healthcare business and its drug development business are splitting. So th- th- it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and the days of the conglomerate are – I don't want to say numbered, uh, but it has to be a conglomerate in the sense that there are a lot of synergies. And typically when you have these large, large companies and they have a certain part that is kind of your old stodgy, uh, business like a Johnson and Johnson healthcare where they're selling band-aids and, uh, and powder, you know, foot powder and, and just kind of basic stuff, Tylenol, um, that's a different business than those trying to cure cancer and cure disease and you know from a, from a biotech perspective and those companies oftentimes are more exciting and when you're an investor you kind of want a pure play where you're either investing in something that's slow, consistent, safe or you want something that's exciting in this environment, those exciting businesses are getting valued very highly. So it makes a lot of sense for those small businesses within the large conglomerate to spin off and get noticed by investors for the story, even if the business dynamics are not as strong and stable as the general parent company. And so activists are putting pressure on companies to either slim down their business or split the riskier business from the conservative business. And if you look at the statistics, the divided entities oftentimes have much higher values put together than as one particular entity. Because it's hard for the whole to receive its full valuation because like I said, most investors want to peer play. Now, spin-off activity within the past decade has been very high in the, in the U.S. 654 billion dollars in new companies. And like I said, the more, there's more data pouring in each and every year about how spin-offs perform. And there are various reasons for that. One is allocation of capital. Less bureaucracy to uh, make changes, to uh, spend R&D money, uh, just really streamlining the operations so that things can get done a lot faster. And then there's aligning CEOs or management with shareholders. Whereas if you're uh, part of a conglomerate and you're a a subsidiary and you're running that subsidiary, if you have equity in the large conglomerate, well, what the other... Uh, pieces of the business do are going to greatly affect what you do. And so you're less inclined to really push for shareholder value and, and do things that are creative to shareholders because it's not nearly as important as if it's a spun-off standalone business. And that's another reason why these spinoffs tend to do well. So don't be shocked to continue to see these. And in fact, a lot of these spinoffs are great investments. Now, the next invest talk story behind this question, how is Ethereum different from Bitcoin. I will take you through the twists and turns of that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. Whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay. Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E dot com. HackerOne
3: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, Each
0: day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes, and be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888 99 Chart.
3: Hi, uh, this question is for uh, Steve or Justin, um, calling from Washington State. I uh, just wanted to know your thoughts on LegalZoom, ticker symbol LD, I believe. Just want to know what's your opinion and what do you think will happen? Um, they just recently reported
1: their earnings. And, yeah, I'll be looking forward to your uh, thoughts on the show. Thank you. Bye. All right. This is LegalZoom.com, a recent IPO. Uh, IPO'd in July right around in in the high 30s. Now we're at $20.84 after a couple earnings reports since they went public. And this is a good example of how most of these, I want to call them Ponzi stocks, where they just either break even, lose money, just trying to achieve massive amounts of growth and and, 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 uh, revenue growth. Uh, These companies that go public, they oftentimes are there just to... (sighs) extract high multiples and a lot of money from the public. And that's what you're seeing here. A lot of these, if you see any IPO right now, that is a a cool story and they don't really have a a lot of earnings or uh, negative earnings. uh, They're pricing it strictly based on multiples has nothing to do with the long-term potential viability of the business or anything like that. It's saying, well, other stocks in in this sector with similar growth are trading at this times uh, EBITDA, this times revenue, and that's how they're pricing them. And which reminds me a lot of two thousand, uh, and I think we're, we're there's a lot of echo of that. And this is a perfect example. Uh, it doesn't mean Legal Zoom's a, a bad company. They're supposed to earn a penny this year, fourteen cents next year. It's a four point one billion dollar market cap, but they're only doing one hundred fifty million dollars in sales a month, or sorry, a quarter, and they're barely eking out a profit at that, and revenues were only up 12% last quarter. Earnings were down 83% year over year. So it's a competitive business. There are other options, and the, the chart is now negative. So I think this has to come in a lot more. This needs to be probably a $10 stock for me to be interested in this, uh, and it's at 20 now. So I would absolutely pass on LegalZoom. LZ is the symbol. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Louie in Boston, looking at SG, which is Sweet Green. This is an owner and operator of 140 fast food restaurants in 13 states. Looks like uh, serving healthy food at scale. Another one of those fast-growing but uh, money-losing companies. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? I believe
2: it IPOs tomorrow, and uh, very interested. I like the uh, company a lot.
1: Okay, what do you like about it?
2: um I guess they have food this selection.
1: um I guess I'm just a a
2: fan of the of the food itself
1: got it okay so you're you're a fan of the brand uh now I don't know much about it right. except for what I'm seeing here about I don't I don't know the 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 uh, market cap I can't tell that from my system I won't know that till Tomorrow, it sounds like, they're going to go IPO. But they've lost money uh, every year until they're expected to make $0.70 this year. Now, I've seen this playbook many, many times before where they front load all the data makes everything look good about the business in order to go IPO and get the best valuation possible. Uh, GoPro did this. Uh, back in the day where they stuffed all their channels of of inventory uh, to look like they had all these sales going into their IPO, when in reality, they they basically created too much inventory everywhere. Uh, their margins shrank, and, and they had to actually buy back a lot of the inventory later. Um, and so uh, the stock sank on, on that news soon after. And so that's what I think I'm seeing here, is that they're making their, themselves look good when they haven't made, made money for many years. Uh, but i don't know the valuation, so I'd really have to look at that. They do about a hundred million dollars in revenue uh, last quarter, so call it a run rate of four f- to five hundred million uh, annually. So this type of business I wouldn't value it for more than probably two to three billion uh, at, at very, very most. I mean that would be a very high valuation still. Um, so if it's anywhere north of that, I would say, no, not a buy for me, uh, but I would really have to look at, at what that that is. So uh, it's always tough with these new IPOs. And like I said, almost all of these IPOs are trading at these crazy multiples that are just based on other companies and nothing to do with the viability or value of the business. IPOs are there. For the vast majority of them to extract capital, extract money from the novice individual investor because they follow the story. They don't follow the the, the 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 valuation, the sustainability of the business, the competitive marketplace. They just see a brand name. And so don't fall prey to that. Now, in the short term, anything can happen. Look what's happening with um, uh, Rivian, right? Where Rivian is just doing very, very well in the short term. But... Does that mean that they have a viable business at these valuations? Uh, probably not. Uh, and so three, six months, especially when the lockup period ha- ends and, and, and insiders can sell even more shares, that's another time where new f- new uh, volume of shares go on market, pushes prices down, and, and that becomes a bigger issue. So as a short-term play, if this is uh, – Maybe a hot topic like Rivian, it could do well in the short term. But long term, it's unlikely to do well unless it has a valuation, like I said, two to 3000000000 billion. Let's go to Sammy in San Francisco looking at ASML. Hello.
2: Um, I'm just trying to figure out when, um, when is a good time for me to entry um, into ASL. Um, do you see it as a long play or a
1: short-term play? Well uh, ASML is in the chip manufacturing equipment business, and it is one of the leading manufacturers. So it is, uh, it's, it's equipment is vitally important in producing equipment, producing, uh, chips. And right now the industry is gearing up for, um, an investment, uh, a new technology, as well as capacity, because what they're seeing with low chip, um, low chip production and, uh, uh, dearth of, of chip supply. And so I think a lot of their business has been front-loaded in the uh, the pandemic. And you're seeing that pre-pandemic, the revenues uh, first quarter of last year, 8% year-over-year, earnings up 10%. Well, as soon as the pandemic hit, up 28% in revenue, then 42, then 15, then 90, then 28, now, that, now 31. Those are all the revenue numbers for the last uh, eight quarters. And I think you're seeing a, a bit of Slowing in growth. And it's trading at a very, very high multiple. Even if you go by next year's earnings, supposed to be $19.52. Let's call it $20. You're still trading at about a 45 times, which is very expensive. Uh, And historically, this is a company... If we go just based on revenues, enterprise value revenues trading at 16 and a half times, that's near record highs. This typically trades closer to five times. So uh, the technicals are weakening a bit. Uh, it's good to have good company to have watch list. It's on my watch list, but it needs to be a lot cheaper. So I'm passing on ASML for now, but I'm keeping it on my watch list. Now when people take the time to leave an invest talk podcast review. On iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So here are some questions from iTunes reviewers. Misha Marvelous says, I have learned a lot from the podcast. I'm thinking about getting into Amazon. Thoughts on a good buy point? Well, I don't think anybody has to... Nobody needs me to explain what Amazon does. But Amazon stock has been kind of meandering here for... Uh, Roughly a year, it's definitely underperformed the overall market, and it's made a series of lower highs, uh, lower lows, and it's certainly on the neutral side from a technical perspective. With any of the big tech companies, you have to consider the... Regulatory issues around data privacy around business practices where uh, things like Amazon where they they steal their their customers' uh, data and make the products theirs themselves and, and sell products that are that are others are, are making a lot of money on uh, and what that practice might uh, look like in the eyes of regulators and continues to get more scrutiny and I think that's that 's an issue. Uh, growth is certainly slowing as the pandemic boost is is waning as well, and that's uh, that's something to consider. So, I, I just don't like it right here. Uh, it would need to be much much lower, and I would need a I would need some more clarity on the regulatory front because it's very easy to see Amazon being broken up. And I, well, I talked about conglomerates before, and the fact that uh, many times when you break them up, that it it unlocks a, a lot of value. I think the opposite would be the case for a lot of these big tech companies because of the data that they share, the ability to share data across different platforms from sales to their their video service to uh, their uh, all their other you know services that they offer and that they can cross promote uh, and create a, a network effect, an ecosystem that brings a lot of value to the consumer, um, but keeps... Them in that ecosystem. So if it's broken up, it's uh, a lot harder for them to create that that sticky ecosystem uh, that Amazon has. And so uh, it would need to be closer to two thousand. And right now it's at thirty five hundred. That's where I would be interested in Amazon to take on the regulatory risk potential. So that's, uh, that's what I'm looking at with Amazon. And let's squeeze in another iTunes questions. Coda says, two stocks I'm wondering about as far as entry point and overall outlook. Affirm, Affirm and Rivian. Well, I just talked about Rivian. Uh, Short term, it's getting momentum, although it was put down pretty big today. Uh, I think it's almost guaranteed to be down six months from now. Uh, and so uh, not a fan there. Uh, and Affirm, same thing. And this, is, uh, this, this had... Uh, uh, tough earnings, but then it had an announcement that it, it was having, I believe it was a one-year exclusivity uh, with Amazon, uh, but it's losing money. It's a poor business. They they uh, basically buy now, pay later, uh, and about 30% default rates. Uh, it's just not a good business. Yes, it's growing, but it's losing money. It's, a, it's one of those Ponzi companies. Uh, and these companies... Uh, once you have liquidity dry up, they're going to be the first ones to go. And so both of these, I think are actually a great short candidates. I would absolutely not own either. Now, as we draw closer to your end, I think it's worth time to, to take a minute to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our company, KP financial in Irvine, California, where we practice parallel investing and we operate with the same philosophy, which is independent sh- thinking and shared success. So, we're there to provide unbiased guidance both on and off air for our clients. And we invest right alongside our clients as well. And that brings that uh, added layer of confidence for our clients, which uh, all of our clients love. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting and send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial office at 800 557 5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Now let's touch uh, a bit on some changes in the home loan market. And that is Fannie and Freddie-backed mortgages. And the maximum size of these home mortgages are going up. Now right now, the qualified uh, mortgage that Fannie and Freddie will uh, cover is $548,250 in most parts of the country. But there are about 100 counties out of more than 3,000 counties in the U.S. that are designated as high-cost markets, places like here in California, Southern California, Northern California, New York, uh, for example, where uh, the limit right now is 822,375. Well, by law, the loan limits are updated annually using a formula that factors in average housing price increases nationwide. And so the standard cap will be around $650,000 next year and around um, just under a million dollars in those high cost markets. And that's because nationwide, the median single family existing home price rose 16% in the third quarter of this year to $363,700. And that's a record going back to 1968, record in percentage increase. Now, this is drawing some ire of a lot of housing experts who are worried that this was continuing to keep Fannie and Freddie as a much larger part of the housing market than it really should be, where they guarantee about half of the $11 trillion mortgage market. And over the last year, they had a 60% market, uh, uh, 60% of the market of all new mortgages were backed by Fannie and Freddie. So... They cover half of the 11 trillion in existence today, and that's going up because they're covering 60 percent. That's in 2019, that was only 42 percent. And so, the big question is are we continuing down this road where you see treasury and government backstopping bigger and bigger mortgages and taking up more and more of the market? And that's really the issue. And uh, a lot of critics are saying, well, the FHFA, the Federal Housing. Uh, authority should be basically overruling the annual increase and so slowly basically stepping out of the market and not increasing that cap but it looks like they are uh, uh because there are a lot of other critics that say well if you don't it's going to push a lot of new home buyers out of buying as well so two sides of the argument there but interesting change nonetheless okay so uh, that's what's happening in the housing market. Now we're taking a break, and we're going to head to uh, a caller after the break, Dylan in Brooklyn. So hold on. This is Invest Talk. Give us a call at 888-99-CHART.
0: Steve and Justin will host the next free Wealth Webinar, Investing in an Inflationary World, tomorrow at 1 p.m. Pacific. With inflation impacting all areas of the global economy, how should investors adjust their strategy to take advantage of emerging opportunities? Get the answer to that question and others and prepare for the coming changes. Register now for free at InvestTalk.com.
1: Let's go to Dylan in Brooklyn. He's looking at VEGI, V-E-G-I, which is the iShares MSCI Global Agricultural Products ETF. You trying to get exposure to the ag space?
2: I am. I've been looking at a bunch of different plays on this one, and I've kind of been overwhelmed with the amount that there are. So I found this ETF was actually recommended to me by somebody. Um, It's a little heavy in deer, which I don't love, but it does have a lot of names I had been looking at. So I was Mm -hmm. wondering... Do you like this one in particular If do you think it's worth doing that DB to kind of find some individual plays here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like what you're looking at. I do think that's going to be the next uh, bout of inflation uh, that is going to hit is in the food space. You're already seeing that a bit, but definitely uh, into next year as uh, gas prices remain relatively elevated, especially in Europe. Uh, and that is a big feed stock into fertilizer. And if fertilizer prices go up, that means uh, food prices go up. And so... Uh, this is a name, uh, like you said, that does have a lot of DEER. Uh, it is an ETF. So DEER is about 20% of it. Nutrien is 7%. Uh, Archer Denny Mid- Midland is 65 Uh So it is pretty well diversified, about 150 different holdings. So I-, I like that, about 34% basic materials, 32% industrials, and 34% consumer defensive. So that's what you're getting uh, exposure to. Uh, two out of those three, I definitely, definitely like. Uh, the big question is, what is the cost and what is the uh, what is the underlying expense ratio? 039 percent, which for an ETF, uh, it's not low, but it's definitely uh, it's that's it's it's I would say it's a little bit above average. So I don't love that expense ratio, but the chart looks strong. I like the exposure, and if you're trying to just get broad base exposure without uh, tying yourself to one particular name, this is a pretty good uh, way to go. Thanks for the call. Now let's keep the momentum going and fit in one more caller question before we turn out the lights and close up today's podcast. This came in earlier on 88899 chart.
2: Hi, Steve, Justin. This is uh, Jeff from Florida. Give me a call about Sun Opta, i I've had this on my watch list for about a year and it's going lower, so I'm glad I haven't bought and just been watching it. But um, looking at the uh, chart, It comes into like five year support around seven, but during the beginning of the pandemic, it dropped all the way to $2. So I know it's a growth company It's coming up to maybe going positive on earnings, they have a new big facility. That's going to help boost those earnings in the future. But what are your thoughts? Would you even buy this at $6 or would you want to more around like two to $4? Thank you.
1: All right, yeah, this is uh, Sunopta, symbols STKL. This is also a company that's uh, interesting. It's on our watch list. And basically, they manufacture natural, organic, and specially food products. Their main business uh, has to do with uh, producing uh, oat milk, almond milk, et cetera. And oat milk is a big, big driver of their future growth. And uh, it's it's the fastest-growing type of milk uh, out there. So I, I like that. It's a Canadian company. Uh, and it has come down dramatically, like you said. 52-week high is $17.07. It's down 61% from there. Uh, and... It's just continues to look weak. Now, I will say there is some major support right around about $5, $4.75, $5. I think that's where it gets interesting and gets to a valuation where it's just too cheap to uh, ignore, uh, especially, like you said, with new facility coming online that's going to drive earnings growth into the future. Uh, I, I like that. So, I like that this is on your watch list, uh, but we're eyeing about the $5 level to get really interested in this name, Uh, and uh, yeah, so that was SunOpta, S-T-K-L is the symbol. A great way to gain exposure to the the, uh, oat milk market, Uh, and a good example of how you don't want to chase things that run away from realistic valuation. And clearly when this hit into the mid to high teens earlier this year, that's that's what happened. And now the weekends are getting shaken out. Uh, I'm also watching for a big spike in volume. Uh, and that would mean capitulation. And we don't quite see that yet. It has picked up recently. But uh, if we see one big spike, maybe above uh, the average day volume uh, for the past year or so, I could see us picking it up. Uh, and that's Sun Opticus, STKL. i I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And be sure to encourage your friends and family members to tune in as well. Please be sure to tell your friends about tomorrow's webinar as well, our wealth webinar, Investing in an Inflationary World. It is free. It's tomorrow at 1 p.m. Pacific time. But you must register in advance over at investtalk.com. It's very easy to register. You'll see a big bar, the big registration button over there on the InvestTalk tab. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night.